Well, baseball season has started. That was an underwhelming response. I went to a baseball game yesterday. It was for my nephew. Um, he's four years old, but he plays in a league with five and six-year-olds. We're at Moss Wright Park, and I expected to see little little boys dressed up in baseball uniforms, right? That's expected. What caught me off guard is the men, the grown men, dads and grandpas with jerseys and hats and baseball pants. And these guys were decked out, ready to go. And it made me think about this. Okay, these five and six-year-olds, they didn't necessarily choose to play baseball. They didn't drive the car down to the parks department and sign up. Uh, They didn't choose their outfit. Uh, They were simply playing this game as a reflection of their fathers and their grandfathers. Their fathers and uncles and grandfathers loved baseball. Therefore, these little boys were reflecting love for baseball. Their fathers and grandfathers continued the uniform traditions that have been in America for 150 years. And so these little boys are doing the same. Their fathers and the grandfathers, uh, the way they respond to the umpires, the way they respond in a competitive situation, the little boys are going to reflect the same too. For good or bad, like it or not, we reflect our parents. Now, we can change some things as adults. Thank God for that, that we can change some of those negative habits that our parents or grandparents or ancestors may have. But there's some things we can't change. The DNA we have, that's just what we have. We have genetic predispositions and body types and behavioral types of issues that we inherit and we adjust to those, but we just reflect who our parents are. I have enjoyed so much the series that is continuing. Jesus changes everything. What we are doing in this series is we're looking at how Jesus changed culture. There's no doubt Jesus changed our hearts as individuals. That's the greatest story. But when we realize how Jesus changed all of culture, he changed everything, it makes us worship him even more. I'm so thankful for a book by John Ortberg called Who Is This Man? This book definitely, definitely influenced this sermon series and a lot of the information I got is from Ortberg's book. Pick it up. You will enjoy it. Well, today we're going to talk about this subject. Jesus values humanity. Jesus values humanity. There is a concept that originated with the Jewish religion. And Jesus confirmed. And Jesus championed. And Jesus explained. And of course, we know Jesus is God. And so the Jewish religion, he invented himself, right? And he is the originator of that. But the concept starts in Genesis chapter 1. The concept is this. We reflect God. We reflect God. Just like those little boys reflected their parents, their fathers, their uncles, and their grandfathers. So we reflect God. And this is an easy concept for us to understand. But not many people who have lived in this world outside of the Christian faith have understood this. This is a distinctly Christian teaching. This is a distinctly uh, Jewish and Christian teaching that we reflect God. The creation story begins in Genesis chapter 1. 
the easiest story to find in the Bible. And now let's look at verse 26, because these words are so powerful. Verse 25, we'll start there. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And now for those of you who love animals, and that's a good thing to do, this is good to know. And God saw that it was good. Creation is good. Creation is good. We should care for the earth. We should care for the environment. We should care for creation. But then look what happens in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Now, this is a strong early indication of the Trinity. God said, let us, a plural. We know that the Son, Jesus Christ, had no beginning. He always existed. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Trinity, three in one, here at the creation. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. There is so much life in this scripture. There is so much hope in this scripture. We are not just a classification of one of the animals that happened to evolve. We are not just a higher version of a certain type of animal or a certain type of species. We are people created in the image of God. We are people created with the characteristics of God. And so we have the capability to reason. We, we have the ability to create. We, we have the capacity to love and to receive love and to make intelligent decisions and to, to do things that reflect the greatness of who our God is. We have a free will. We have a choice. We, we, we have so much that God has given us. And one of the things Satan wants to do in your life is Satan wants to attack your worth and attack your value and keep you from realizing the beauty of Genesis chapter 1. That from the beginning, human beings, human beings had a purpose. Human beings reflected God himself. And that truth, that reality gives us so much hope. And gives us so much to believe in. You know, it wasn't always this way. It wasn't always this way. And still in, in other cultures, um, there is a hierarchy that puts man at the very, very bottom. Let, let's look at what it says here. This slide will help us. At the top of this pecking order are the gods. Not, not the god we know. Not the god with a very distinct name and a God with a very revealed personality. But, but the different gods man has made up. And in the ancient mind and still many places today, uh, these gods who are ambiguous, they, they are considered supreme. Whether it's the God of harvest, the God of fertility, the sun, the moon, whatever God it is. Whatever you need, just pick a God. This is the erroneous teaching that most of the world has lived under. But right underneath the gods are the kings. The, the men, mostly men, I guess if they weren't kings, they'd be queens. But 
the monarchy, the, the, the man who is considered almost a god himself. And all through culture, we, we as human beings have always had the need for a hero. We've always had the need for a man to perpetuate the myth that there's some human being that's so much greater than the rest of us. So it is that we always have to have some kind of hero. Can I tell you, there's only one hero that won't let you down, that won't disappoint you, that is totally pure. That's Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the son of the living God. He's really the only hero we need. But yet we continue to perpetuate this myth that there are kings among us. Men who are just at a different level than the rest of us. And in ancient society, that's how it was. It was the gods and it was the king. And if you can just imagine underneath the king, if you can just imagine there being a line. Because that was a big separation. And the king reflected the gods. In fact, sometimes in some cultures, the king uh, was reincarnated as the god. Uh, he was worshipped as a god. He was considered a god himself. Well, right underneath the king is the king's court and the priest in the various religions. And then right below the king's court and priests were the artisans and merchants and craftsmen. And then down at the bottom, even though the font gets smaller, the population actually gets bigger. Most of the people who have ever lived in the world are considered peasants or slaves. This is the great majority of humanity has been classified as the bottom, almost the dregs of society, the worthless ones. And can I, can I remind you today that you are not at the bottom of society. You are not worthless. You are not anonymous. You're not just taking up space for 70 years. You're not just one simple part of a machine that's, the machine called time and you're disposable. That's incorrect. You are made in the image of God and you reflect God. And there's a greatness in you. And this is not something to just boost up your pride falsely. This is to reflect who he is, not to bring yourself glory, not to bring yourself fame, not to bring yourself acclaim, but to have God's favor and God's hand on your life. You, you are not Living life unseen. God sees your life. God knows your life. God knows who you are. And he has a great plan for your life. And we won't even know what that plan means until we see him face to face. We have to trust him sometimes. Because the definition of success on earth is not God's definition of success. We have to trust. He has you alive right now, in this time, in this place, in this space, for a very distinct reason. And that number one reason is to worship him. To worship him. Yet, the story of history has been mankind trying to climb the ladder, trying to become the king, get near the king, and then become the king. And then mankind even trying to become a god. And every religion outside of Christianity, virtually every religion is about becoming a God yourself. Man, we don't want to become a God. We want to worship the God, the only true God, the only one who truly exists. And so it was that Jesus, Jesus defined this teaching that we reflect God. We reflect who God is. We show the world who God is by our actions and, and, and by who we are. And God closes this gap. So what's the worth of a human being? How much does a human being cost? What price would you pay for a human being? 
You know, in our country, we started this nation out correctly. We started this nation out with the Declaration of Independence and some beautiful words that were inspired by the gospel and by Christian teaching said this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are the right, right among these rights are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Yet over time, over time, once our Constitution came out, we forgot that foundation. And so slaves weren't even considered a full person. A slave was considered three-fifths of a person. And now today, the value of a human being is changed because of sin. Because of human trafficking and prostitution. The price of a person is determined by consumer needs. And so one woman may be worth $50, but she, another may be worth $500. Our military officials, they, they put value on human targets. Some human targets are disposable. Others are more important because uh, we can't bomb certain parts of the city because those are important people. But collateral damage to others, they're not so important. So military leaders have to decide who's valuable and who's not valuable. And here's the issue. Whenever we begin to put a value on people and we begin to put a price on people and we begin to redefine if a person is fully a person or if they're worth a certain dollar amount or they're disposable or not disposable, that means that some people's value can be really, really low. And when people's value get really, really low, we begin to dispose of them and we begin to operate in the spirit of the one who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus, Jesus taught And reflected Genesis chapter 1. And here's our second point. Letting us know that that we have value. And if you're taking notes, you can just write this down. We have high value. I mean, we're not valued here low. We're valued highly. God values us very high. And here's another important part. We are valued equally. God doesn't look and, and say... A person in this section of the church is more valuable than a person in that section. God doesn't look and say, well, just because we came to church today, we're more valuable than people who don't attend church. God doesn't look at us and say, just because some of us understand God's commands and understand morality and understand holiness, we're more valuable than those who don't understand God's ways. Every person has value to God. Every person has equal value. And here's the great equality. That value is the only begotten son of God. He laid down his life. He was the substitute for my sin and your sin and the sin of people in Turkey and the sin of people in Africa and the sin of people in China. He is the great equalizer. You are worth the shed blood of Jesus. Your value is the only begotten son of God. You are not just valued. You're valued highly. You're valued at a price that's un unattainable and you are valued equally. And so we all come to the cross humbly and we come to the cross equally and we come to the cross thanking God that because of Jesus, he has made us valuable. Matthew chapter six, Jesus says these words in verse 25. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. Now, I want to say this, is that birds weren't 
thought of as highly in the days of Jesus as we think of them. There weren't people like with binoculars, you know, looking at birds and paying money to feed them. They were nuisances. The birds were irritants. And Jesus said this, look, look at the birds uh, of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. They're not, not part of the economic system. They're not starting businesses and, and investing in IRAs. And, and they're not, they don't have a good work ethic that are, are, are usable to society. But he says, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you worth more than they? I just want to tell you, here's the word of the Lord for you. You are more valuable than birds. All right? That's the scripture. You have more value than birds. And God's taking care of the birds. He's going to take care of you. God's providing for the birds. He's going to provide for you. God's going to come through for you. You're more valuable than they are. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Jesus talks again. He says, moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. Then he saw a man who had a paralyzed hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is that not a ridiculous question? I mean, what a silly, silly question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus responded. He said to them, what man among you, if he has a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? Now, here's another word for me, for you guys today. Verse 12, a man is worth far more than a sheep. So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You're worth more than a bird and you're worth more than a sheep. Here's the rest of the story. Then he told them, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they may destroy him. Listen, widows, orphans, illegal aliens, the poor, the imprisoned, those who are excluded from full participation in society because they are defective and malformed are seen as inferior. These are the people who have high value to God. And if they have high value to God, they should have high value to us. We should love the way Jesus loves. Jesus came and he changed everything to a culture and society who only cared about the rich, who only cared about the elite, who only cared about those who had it together religiously. Jesus said, I have come not to the healthy, but to the sick. I have come so that the brokenhearted might be, uh, their wounds may be bound up. I have come to set the captives free. Jesus values humanity. We should too. Sociologists have studied the progression of Western thought. And they have said one of the primary reasons Christianity has spread is because the followers of Jesus took care of the sick and the dying. This is one of the reasons the message of Jesus spread. About A.D. 165, an epidemic happened in the Roman Empire, and it was probably smallpox. But smallpox killed a third to a fourth. Go ahead. A third or a fourth of the population. One, one historian said these words. Listen to these words closely. They died with no one to look after them. Indeed, there were many houses in which all the inhabited, inhabitants perish through lack of care. The bodies of the dying were heaped up one on top of the other. No fear of God or law of man had a restraining influence. This happened and the world wasn't ready for an epidemic. But about a hundred years later, a little less than a hundred years later, a second epidemic came. 
And there in the city of Rome, 5,000 people a day were, were reported to be perishing and dying. But something changed. Because by that time, the message of a carpenter from Nazareth had spread. And his followers were there in Rome. And there in Rome, they remembered Jesus, the one who started their movement, was the one who went to the lepers. And he touched the lepers. And he wasn't scared of dying. He went and he told his disciples, when you go, go and heal in my name. Heal in the name of Jesus. And so it was that the believers and the Christians begin to care for the sick and they begin to care for the dying. A, a bishop said this, a Christian bishop from that time period, heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending their every need and ministering to them in the name of Christ. Gregory of Nyssa, he opened a place where, uh, or, uh, excuse me, where lepers could come. And Gregory, at that place where he would have orphans, who go ahead and put the next slide up. Gregory, would, where, where he took uh, lepers, he said these amazing words. These amazing words. Listen, listen closely. Lepers have been made in the image of God. In the same way you and I have, and perhaps much better. Now listen to these words. Let us take care of Christ. While there's still time, let us minister to Christ's needs. Let us give Christ nourishment. Let us clothe Christ. Let us gather Christ in. Let us show Christ honor. This is what this depiction of Gregory, this man said to lepers, the people that everyone was scared of. And he started what we now know as hospitals. In fact, in the Council of Nicaea, where we get the Nicaean Creed, this council said that wherever, wherever the gospel is preached, wherever a cathedral existed, there must be a hospice, a place for caring for the sick and caring for the poor. And that's why today many of our hospitals are called Good Samaritan or Good Shepherd or St. Thomas, as we have here in this city. Another follower of Jesus named John Henry Dunant, he could not stand the fact that prisoners were being left behind when armies retreated. And the screams and the cries of dying, excuse me, not prisoners, but soldiers, dying soldiers on the battlefield. And so this Swiss, this Swiss philanthropist decided to give his life to caring for soldiers. And he would be there at a place uh, where, a place of great danger and a, a place of great pain. And he started an organization in the 1860s that you know as the Red Cross. Every time you see the Red Cross in a place where there's need in this world, the thumbprint of Jesus and his followers are there because Jesus changed everything. Jesus values humanity. A pastor in Germany, a Lutheran pastor, saw that the peasants and the common people were not being cared for. So he assembled a group of ladies, uh, uh, common ladies, uneducated ladies, and said, will you help me care for the poor? And there was a lady named Florence Nightingale who decided to give her life to the care of the sick. She asked at her death that the only thing to be acknowledged was a cross, that a cross be put at the place where she was laid. And she is known as the founder of modern nursing. So all of you who are nurses, are training to be nurses, are aspiring to be nurses, your profession started because Jesus valued humanity. And his followers said, we're going to take care of the sick, even if they don't have money, even if they don't have the ability, ability to pay us back. And that is the heart of Jesus. Slavery in the ancient world was universal. Unlike America, slavery wasn't based on, on race. It, it could happen to any person. Slaves had no rights. Slaves had no dignity. Slaves had no ability until they came to a church. 
And in the early church, it was very common for a slave owner to take the feet of a slave and to wash them in the name of Jesus. And that type of interaction was the beginning of changing uh, that really wicked, wicked practice. John Newton was part of the slave industry. He served at sea as a slave trader. And he made his money by buying and selling and, and capturing human beings. His life was marked by gambling, profanity, and drinking. He even contemplated suicide. But Christ got a hold of his heart, and he became a pastor. And he wrote a song that has some lyrics you may have heard. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. As a pastor, John Newton had a man in his church named William Wilberforce who was in government. And Wilberforce came to John Newton and he got his professional advice. He wanted to leave politics. But Newton told Wilberforce that he should stay and devote his life to the abolition of slavery. And so Wilberforce did. It became his consuming passion. He introduced his first bill in England to oppose slavery, listen to this, in 1787. And for decades, decades, defeat after defeat after defeat happened in Parliament. He started in 1787. And in 1833, one month after his death, Parliament finally outlawed slavery. Why? Because Jesus changed his heart. And Jesus changed everything. And Jesus values humanity. Prisons were historically hell holes, the worst place possible. But the followers of Jesus remember that Jesus said this. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And so they did. So Jesus and his followers went to prison and they would take food to other Christians. And a prayer developed among prisoners. The prayer was this. God, send a Christian to prison. Because once a Christian came to prison, not only would that Christian be fed, but so would the other men who were there with him. And so it is that Christ's followers have always been on the leading edge of prison reform and caring for the outcasts and the punished of society. So here it is, the care for the sick, the care for the dying, the care for the, the imprisoned did not become something uh, that was looked down upon. Now, today, it is applauded. It is cheered. It's an act of nobility. It's celebrated. Why? Because Jesus values humanity. Jesus changed everything. Jesus came to us and he turned the pecking order around. He turned all our, our, our preconceived ideas upside down. And he said, let's serve the most difficult among us. And let's do that. Here's the third thing I want to say is that you are invited. We are invited. I get lots of invitations throughout the year. May's coming, so I know invitations are coming. And we, we participate in a lot of weddings. And there's an invitation to the wedding. And then there's an invitation to the rehearsal dinner. And there, there's an invitation to the showers. And the invitations always kind of indicate whether it's going to be formal or whether it's going to be casual. You can kind of see what's going to happen. But invitations are special. Invitations are carefully given. Here is a beautiful thing for us to understand is that we, because we're valued by Jesus, we have been carefully and intricately invited by Jesus to be in relationship with him. And he did not invite us because we are powerful or qualified. He did not invite us because we are good. He didn't invite us because we are worthy. He invited us 
despite our weaknesses. Here's the last story we'll read. And it's in Luke chapter 14, starting with verse 16. It says, that he told them, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. And the time of the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who were invited, come because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all begin to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I just got married and therefore I am unable to come. So the slave came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told the slave, here's the key verse, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. This was... This is something as we read this, we think, well, yes, that is what you're supposed to do. But to those who heard these words, these were revolutionary words. These were counterculture words. Because in that day, the religious elite, they believed their house should reflect the temple. So they wanted these perfect houses with nothing that would violate their home. Nobody who was unclean, no one who was impure, no one who was blind, no one who was crippled. No one who was lame was welcome in the home of the religious leaders. But Jesus changed everything. And he went to those leaders and he told this story. And he said, when those who aren't invited won't come to the house of the Lord, then let the blind and let the poor and let the maimed and let the lame come to the house of the Lord. Can I tell you, I was blind. I was crippled. I was maimed. I was lame. I had no right to God's house. I have no qualifications for God's table. I have no access to God. But thank God that Jesus Christ came and he was the substitute for my sin. And he didn't only just forgive my sin. He invited me to the table of the Lord. He invited me to the place that I'm not qualified for. He invited me to the place that I don't belong. He invited me to the place that I should be banished from. And that invitation's been open to me. And that invitation's open to you. Jesus came in power and authority and he served this world. And he said those who are at the bottom are now at the top. Those who are last are now first. That's why he's a savior that we love. He's a savior that we adore. And he is a savior that we reflect his love. God's sending us to the people who are unlovable. The people who are unqualified. The people who don't deserve our love and care. Those are the exact people that God wants us to go to. Why? Because we are those people. We are those people. And we, we need Jesus. Because we need Jesus. We share Jesus. Would you pray with me?